Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'm speaking to Kelly Cheeks. Kelly returns to the dojo for her very own interviews today. Kelly's the host of the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast, a presenter for an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon, and author of the hit book, UFO Rabbit Hole. Kelly has made appearances as both a host and a guest on multiple other podcasts, including the Quantum Witch Cafe's book club, and of course, the recent episode of Deb's Data Dojo. All of Kelly's fans appreciate her journey down the rabbit hole, which she travels with humor and a scientific approach. Thank you very much for coming back, Kelly. I'm very happy to just talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Deb. It's always fun to talk to you. This will be a great time, I think. Right. So I would love to just sort of do an overview of your journey down the rabbit hole without giving your book away too much, because that's definitely part of your journey. Maybe you could just let listeners know what started you down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. So um, I think like a lot of people, I had a little too much time during the pandemic Uh, (laughs) and, um, you know, I was actually going on vacation in spring of 2021 and I had heard in the background, these things, stories about UFOs in the news. And I just had been so locked into my life. I think like so many people are that I just never really took the time to look into it. And so I was going on vacation and I hadn't gone on a vacation in years. And I was like, I'm going to take this time on vacation because I like to stay busy, Um, And I'm going to figure out this whole UFO thing, which is (laughs) hilarious to me now that I thought I would just knock it out in a week. Um, But that just started an interest for me. I was going to the Outer Banks on vacation and I had actually seen a UFO there once when I was a kid. I was like 13 years old. And so that was something that had always sort of stuck with me. So it just felt like the right place to start thinking about it again. Um, and that just started my journey. I, I very quickly figured out that there was a there there. Um, it became really clear to me that I had, despite the fact that I had considered myself for many, many years to be a strong, independent thinker and a critical thinker um, and someone who wasn't easily influenced by others, I uh, was embarrassed to find that I had completely written off whole swaths of human experience as being just complete and utter nonsense. Um, And to find that that was not the case, to be confronted by the full scope and just the preponderance of the evidence and to recognize that I had just been completely ignoring something that was real and that was huge and that was impacting tons of people. And so um, that began a long process of just study for me. I've been absolutely obsessed Um, I'm a marketer by trade and I really felt the, I felt compelled to use my personal experience in terms of messaging and bringing things to the world and presenting things to people in such a way that it's easier for them to understand it to this topic, because I was just so obsessed that I basically needed to like drag everyone into the rabbit hole with me. Yeah, that's actually one of the things that the dojo is all about is just making this understandable for people who don't necessarily understand academic jargon that we hear or who don't necessarily um, adhere to some of the deeper, almost religious beliefs, you know, that are part of this, just, just make it accessible um, and to educate. 
that's what the dojo is about. So thank you for coming and helping educate the listeners about this. And I know some of them are people who know about this topic, but there's some people who come in and, you know, listen to your show, listen to this show who have never explored this before. So it's great that we're doing that. No, I love it. And I, I love your show and I love our, you know, we have a little group of friends who kind of are all in this together. And I think it's really amazing. It's like we're colleagues in this uh, company that we made up together. <laughs> Basically, no one makes money, but we're all very passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking about the conferences which you attended in New York that I was lucky enough to not only meet you there at, but to attend myself. And it's, I was thinking about what was really special about that. And it was just like that safe place to have these conversations and to form those friendships all over that common, you know, interest. And, and, and it's unfortunate because there's so many people who have these experiences who don't get that, who don't get a safe place to talk about it. And I wish that was a more open thing for the whole world, frankly. I know. I know. I think that the further I step into this field, the more I, I recognize how immense the need is, not just for education, but for support for people for experiencers and also just for people who are waking up to this in general who may or may not have actually had an anomalous experience because you know that can happen too not everybody who's going down this rabbit hole has had anomalous experience themselves they're just open-minded enough to the evidence and I think that that is also its own particular journey that can be lonely in its own ways you know I certainly don't have anyone else in my real life that's going through exactly what I'm going through right now in terms of my, you know, my own coming to terms with this. And so, you know, being able to find friends has been an incredible experience. And I do wish that like, we just have to keep figuring out how to build a bigger and bigger tent and a longer and a longer table. Right. And, and I was thinking we should probably backtrack a little and talk about your initial sighting, because that's very special that you had one. And I was just thinking about, you know, poor Stanton Friedman. He never had one and he was still just an avid researcher. So he's a great example of someone who just kept at it. He wrote books and it just had so much information gathered from talking to people. But I don't think he ever had, to, you know, a sighting of his own. So if you can, can you please share the sighting that you had? Yeah, absolutely. So I was probably around 13 years old and I was at the Outer Banks down in North Carolina and I was sitting out on the porch. They have, you know, they have these big decks that go all the way up and we were oceanfront. So it was just staring out kind of into the blackness of the night. And I'm a city mouse. I've always lived like in a city or a suburb. And I, and so for me, there's nothing more exciting than just like a truly dark night sky. And so when I, I am, whenever I'm anywhere to have the opportunity to actually see real stars, you will catch me outside looking up. And I've been that way since I was a kid. So I was outside doing that kind of by myself up on the upper deck of our house. And I had the strangest thought. I had literally never thought this before. I thought, if I look up right now, I'll see a UFO. And I looked up and I saw this very bright, bright light. It was very high, but it was very, it, it wasn't like the kind of, you know, like plain lights, they're almost kind of like yellowy or they, and they have like the green and the red that flash. This was like a pure, like a bright, 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 white light. And, um, 
it was moving across the sky just like a little bit too fast, it felt like, but I was 13, what do I know about how fast things can go? Um, but then as I saw it, as it hit about almost right above my head, it took a one right degree, one, I'm sorry, 190 degree angle turn followed by another 90 angle degree angle turn and then just shot off past the horizon like a meteor. And I knew nothing was supposed to be able to do that. And so yeah. I ran inside and told my family and um, yeah, they all just laughed at me. So <laughs> I kind of just let it go after that. And I, I didn't think, I would think about it every once in a while, but I had nothing, I didn't know what to do with that piece of, with that. So I just sort of forgot about it. I think a lot of people do. You know, it's really interesting. It's, and, I, and I've mentioned this before that I've talked to people you know, in my everyday life. And I've told them, you know, I'm really, really interested in UFOs. I don't have a problem telling people that. I don't tell them what I'm doing about it. But I, you know, <laughs> I like, I tell them I'm interested. And almost, I'd say like one out of four people says, oh, I've seen one. So I yeah. think there's probably a lot of people who are in that same position that you were in as a child, you know, like saw something and then someone brushed it off and then you just move on about your life. So there's probably so many more sightings that go unreported um, and people maybe just aren't even looking up, you know, <laughs> there's like all right. the ones that, that people aren't even seeing. Um, so who knows the magnitude of what we're dealing with here? I just think that we can only guess. Absolutely. Well, and I think another thing that happens is that I had been then studying UFOs for almost a year at the point that I realized that I'd actually had a second sighting when I was 21. That was actually much more profound. And so I was outside. Um, I was at a park with a friend and there was a, I basically saw like a giant cigar shaped smudge in the sky that like kind of came out of nowhere. And, it, and then it seemed to like go into a tear in the sky. And I did not know what I saw. We sat there for the longest time going, was that the blimp? Cause I, it was in Akron, Ohio. That's where I grew up. And I was like, is that, it couldn't have been a blimp. Like it was broad daylight. It didn't look like the blimp at all. It looked like a smudge. And once again, I didn't know what to do with that information. And so I just kind of forgot about it. And it took me a year of studying UFOs to recognize, to like excavate that memory and to just connect it because I didn't, I knew I had seen something strange in the sky, but because I didn't grow up with like the context of, you know, what a UFO actually is, I just had what I knew from the media. It didn't look like a flying saucer or anything that I associated with a UFO. And so I didn't, I didn't make that connection. And it wasn't until much later that I realized like, oh no, that was actually a much more profound UFO sighting. I just didn't think it was a UFO. Yeah, I think that, you know, the people who aren't studying this topic are probably still under the impression that all UFOs look like saucers, because that's what they show in the movies. Um, and that's what they, you know, push. I, I know we're moving a little bit towards triangle in some of the sci-fi movies now, but years and years and years, it was a saucer. Cigars weren't even mentioned. Like, you have to watch Unsolved Mysteries to find out anything about another shape. In fact, I didn't really know how big black triangles were until I started doing this show. And like a lot of people were telling me that they were seeing black triangles, including people who did not believe at all that they were alien. 
who are like, I don't know what it was. It was really weird. It was not making a noise. It was right over my head. I, you know, I, I can't be an alien. <laughs> right. No, exactly. I've actually um, had two different people now in my local area in Northeast Ohio tell me that they've had sightings of like in broad daylight where they didn't actually see a craft, but where they were outside and there was a giant triangle shadow on the ground. And that it was like moving overhead. And I, yeah. I don't know what to do with that, but that's, that's one I hadn't heard, but apparently it's something that happens in my area quite frequently. Well, you know, it's fascinating to me because part of the rabbit hole is you start studying what our perception is. You start to study what we're capable of perceiving and finding out there's quite a lot that we're missing. And it's, it seems that the UFOs have some sort of trickster element and they're not always visible. Um, we're hearing that when we report radar sightings without visual verification or multi-sensory sightings without visual verification. And you hear other stories about, you know, people sense something's there, but they can't see it. You know, so that shadow, that's a great example. That's actually a fantastic example of like something's there, but you're not actually seeing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I find that I find that so fascinating. And even just the fact that um, I didn't realize that I like, I guess I didn't probably a lot of people feel this way because it turns out UFOs are everywhere. But I didn't think. I, I didn't realize how frequently they were seen just in my own area. And because, you know, and I've, my new thing is whenever I get into an Uber or a Lyft, um, I've started just like basically telling people I have a UFO podcast and asking if they've ever seen a UFO, <laughs> because I find that in a Lyft, people are very well, because they don't know you and they're never going to see you again. And they're like, oh yeah, man. And they'll just tell you the whole story. And so I've yeah. heard all kinds of crazy stuff. That's great. You know, that reminds me, they used to have a show. I think it was just about taxi drivers and their experiences picking people up. That could be a UFO show, picking people up in a taxi. Hey, ever seen a UFO? And get some stories. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is the next progression for the cabbies. You'll be like literally cabbies. Well, that'd be great. <laughs> I actually gave DJ and Nathan hats when we were at the conference, the second, well, the one that they were able to come to. Um I have not seen them wear them yet. I'm going to have to point that out. But yes, they have cabbie hats now. <laughs> yeah, the people want to see the hats. Tell them to wear it on the next show. <laughs> I will. I don't know. Actually, I, I'm wondering. They might have been a little too oversized or something. I don't know. I might have to get them like real non-costume ones at some point. But <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that the, a lot of people have had the idea. Wouldn't it be cool if we went out and just spoke to the public and ask them what their experiences were. Because a lot of people who study this know you can go to MUFON or you can go to um, some of the other reporting sites. Um, you know, now it's like Enigma Labs has an app and all this stuff is going on. But just hearing from people who don't know that, who are just keeping the story to themselves, sometimes you're going to get some real gems. I have, I have clients who tell me stories um, and I never tell them I'm interested in this topic. I just let them tell me and I never judge them and I never tell them they're crazy or any of that, even though, you know, technically I am in mental health. So some people might 
you know, try to say right. it's something to do with that. No, it's not. That's not what they're there for. You know, they're there for behavioral problems for the most part. And um, I just let them tell it. And I think that's, you know, a treasure. And I think it, people would not be so traumatized by experiences with the unusual or anomalous if they could just do that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's so hard is, you know, even when I something that's been really rewarding for me is with my, my patrons. Now I do a weekly, not a weekly, I'm sorry, a monthly call. Um, and I love it. And it's been wonderful. And something that's been so rewarding about that experience is that like a lot of people who end up coming are people who this is their first time stepping into community and with other people who have either had experiences or just interested in this topic and the relief that you can see on people's face the first time they just realize that they don't have to censor themselves and they just say what they mean. I mean, that was the experience I had in New York, you know, meeting all of you finally just being like, I can just actually say what I mean and be who I am. It's a very freeing experience. I think the more that we can give that to people and open up space, because just think about how many people have just been sitting with this stuff for so, so, so long and it does create a weird isolation and the distance between you and other people when you feel like you can't um express yourself and i think that's really really tough yeah and it's funny because i i feel like the more you embrace being open-minded the more actually giving it is back you know like i don't know how to explain it but it's like a gift to like you know you you learn more and you love more and you appreciate more and you just open your eyes to everything a little bit more um and we're very lucky because there are i would say 90 percent of the community is very generous to each other and super intelligent yes <laughs> we had a, a smart crowd yes we had a guest come to the conference who was astounded by some of the people that were like there not the guest on stage um just one of the people who was attending in the audience was astounded by the other people attending because he had this misconception that ufo people would be like weirdos with tinfoil hats or something i don't know like <laughs> right. i will never not be wearing a tinfoil hat in my lifetime guys <laughs> that is not <laughs> happening <laughs> Exactly. Well, and I, I mean, half the people, I would say probably a, a good half of the people that reach out to me, if not more, are either um, retired military or, um, you know, they're academics. Like that, that's a better than half of the people that reach out to me. I mean, and it's, it's spread across all, all walks of life and, you know, all different backgrounds and everything. Uh, I, I don't think that there's really a limit to who this impacts, but, you know, people who are really studying this stuff at a deep level right now, there's still so much stigma around it that like you, you have to be somebody who's willing to kind of step out of line a little bit and consider things that other people aren't, aren't willing to consider. And it brings a really incredible group of people to the subject. I, I, I feel like this is the first time in my life that I've really found my true community and my people. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of familiarity and family and I can tell 
um, people that after the first conference, I just felt joy for like two days afterwards that I hadn't felt in a really long time. I just felt like peace and joy. You know, this, the second conference, I think I just felt, you know, excited. And I also like had really warm, endearing memories, you know, with some of the people there. Um, and I just, you know, I treasure some of those things. Some of those things I'm are even like private that I'm not going to talk about on the podcast. But, but it's just like having that community is super important to you. And it really helps us to get further because um, there's a lot of people who just want us to work together in the community. It's part of that giving and generosity that I see that people are really just boosting each other, promoting each other and celebrating each other. And I think that's the right way to handle this anyway, because this is a global issue that belongs to everybody. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm actually, I feel like I've been fiending for a conference. I want, I miss everybody and I want to get back together again. So I'm looking forward to the next time we can all gather. Right. So did you want to talk about any projects that you're working on? Speaking of conferences? Sure, sure. So, um, <laughs> Uh, I'm not a, I'm not able to announce any names yet, but I'm hoping that by the end of this week I will be able to. Um, but I am currently working on organizing actually a two-part conference down in the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base area. Um, so the main conference will be a big UFO conference. It's called um, the Ohio Heritage UFO Conference. Um, we're really excited about it. I'm an Ohioan um, because... Ohio has had such an incredible uh, place in kind of our journey from human flight to the space program to the stars. Um, you know, the Wright brothers, they did their first flight in Kitty Hawk, but they're from Ohio. They did all their research and development here. Um, the We have had more astronauts from Ohio than any other state. So it's a very common joke in Ohio to say that nothing like growing up in Ohio to make you want to leave the planet. But <laughs> <laughs> most of us are uh, from here really love it um, it's a great place and uh, and yeah obviously Wright Patterson is right there and has its place in UFO history and so we're very excited to bring a conference to Wright Patterson it's going to be actually at the Hope Hotel which is actually inside the gates of Wright Patterson um, and it has it's quite historical the Bosnian Accords were signed there which is quite interesting um, so that will be going on. Plus, there'll be a big festival, a UFO festival going on in the downtown of Fairborn, which is where Wright-Patterson is. And then earlier in that week, on Thursday and Friday, there'll be a separate conference at a place called Agraria. That's a, they're a really cool nonprofit. They have a farm and they do a lot of like regenerative growing and that, and that sort of thing. And but it has a very, it's all tied into consciousness um, and community for them. And so we're going to have a little mini consciousness and UFOs conference there as well on Thursday and Friday leading into the big UFO conference. Okay. I'm just seeing a huge CE5 event happening. So I'm like, is that, is that going to be a thing? Is that going to be part yes, of that? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we're trying to do something like that on uh, one of the nights at Agraria. Um, so those, I'm hoping to be announcing that if not this week, definitely by next week, uh, and tickets will be going on sale. And I am like over the moon at the names that we've confirmed. I wish I could share, um, but it's going to be very exciting. 
Yes, it's it's really exciting. I'm so um I am also really missing the conferences and I I wish we had more going on on the East Coast. I'm so happy that we had the ones in New York. Um I'm happy that Maryland had one that I didn't know about. And I just wish that you know there was something a little bit more available on this end because I wish I could go to places like Ohio and Roswell. Like I have friends working on the ones in Roswell and I'm like, I wish I could do that. So are your conferences going to be um, through televideo also? Yes. Yeah. Both conferences are going to be live streamed um, like we did with the inquiry events in New York. So um, yeah, it's going to be, I'm, I'm hoping to get as many people there via live stream as possible. And we're trying to think of ways to kind of build out more of that community experience and like the, whether it's maybe having some Twitter spaces afterwards or some sort of breakout groups or something. Cause it feels you know, as much as possible, if we can bring that kind of community feeling to the people who can't be there, because people have kids, people have jobs, people got stuff to do, and then traveling in this economy, you know what I mean? Like, we gotta, we gotta make sure that we're, we're including as many people as possible. And so we're definitely working on, um, on how we can do that. I'm hoping we'll find some innovative ways this year. Um, but more than anything, this is going to be a legacy event that they want to go on for a long time. So, um, you know, we're just trying to build a really strong foundation this year and then learn everything that we can and come back even bigger and better next year. Yeah, I was just thinking it's probably for the best if I don't go in person to all of these because I, I don't know about you, but I've been to one where it was the one in Maryland where I just like was itching to go on stage because like, you know, like you, I've done a lot of research and I'm like, I know all these answers. <laughs> like, I want to answer them. <laughs> but I'm happy to say, at least you got to go on stage. You've been on stage presenting. Are you, and I presume you will be presenting for these conferences in Ohio. Yes? Yes, I will be. So I'll be hosting, although I'll be... I have been treated so generously with hosting duties that I will be handing out as many hosting duties as I can for this event. Um, but I will technically be the host of the big UFO event. And then um, I also, for the first time, I'm going to present um, my work actually at the Agraria Conference, which will be separate from, um, I mean, not that I don't take credit for my podcast. I'm very proud of it and I've worked very hard on it. But a lot of what that, what my podcast is, is a synthesis of the existing work. And so what I'll be presenting at Agraria will be, um, I have a book that'll probably be out in a year or two. It's going to take me a while, but I want to present kind of the framework of the book that I'm working on. And this will be kind of my first original research contribution to the field. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Yeah, you alluded to we're having another book in this lovely book I'm holding up that no one listening can see in the <laughs> UFO rabbit hole. You mentioned that you said, oh, this will be in book two. So I'm counting on a book too, Kelly. I'm counting on. Oh, the yes, yes. This, the, yes, yes, yes. So the book two is all the podcast stuff that should be out no later than June would be my guess. Okay. Um, and then this other book will be probably another year or two because it's with everything that's going on with the podcast, it'll take me a little longer to sort that out. But, you know, just a couple conferences, a couple books, a couple. <laughs> yeah, just a few things, just a little. Just a couple things. You know, a couple little <laughs> things. Yeah. So, I, and I actually um, had this thought right before we started today. One of the things I was going to ask you about is 
why do you think it is when we come into this topic, we all end up with projects? Like we all end up with work to do. Like we can't just read about it. We can't just watch YouTube about it. Like I have a friend who would never say that he has a project, but he messages me constantly informing me of what's going on because he knows I work so much. I would say that's his project. Everyone has a project. Everyone has work. Like even people who are tweeting are giving themselves a project with this. Like why do you think yeah. that is? Why can't we just like watch it like some people watch the Kardashians? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what I what I really think, which is a little woo. But I mean, I, I, I think that this wants to happen. Whatever the UFO phenomenon represents, it it's basically perfectly designed to grab our attention and keep it. Um, and and I think that, but beyond that, beyond it just being a curiosity and something that really draws people in, which is sort of like the mystery and wonder of it, the the thing that I felt very crazy about until I met all of you and realized you were all feeling the same way was that like, I felt in particular kind of deputized. I don't know why. Like I, I felt like this is my, once I got into this world and I started working on my podcast, like that became everything to me. And I, I, it's to me going down this rabbit hole has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. It has made me a happier person. It has made me a more calm person. It has given me a purpose and a direction and it's made me a more just compassionate person. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, it's an antidote to, you know, just kind of all the ugliness in the world right now. It, it, it's kind of the opposite of everything that we're dealing with. And I want to spread it. And I think that there's a feeling when once you get into it and you realize how incredible this field is and how much there is to learn and that we as a species really are on the precipice of figuring out some like really, really cool stuff that like it's really hard to not want to spread it it's really hard to have anything be even half as interesting to be honest <laughs> i mean i feel like i want to comment more on that but before i do something just came into my mind while you were saying that i think it's the discovery that there might be another way like the yes. way we're doing it is we know wrong we know that the, we're not supposed to be hurting each other that we're not supposed to have people who are starving or homeless we know it in our gut that things are not right right now. And just that feeling that there could be another way that might be better is something I think that spawns from this. You know, it's like within it. And I think that is part yeah. of it. No, I agree. I mean, even just the... I think you're right. I mean, I think the promise of the UFO, like just seeing something that's so technologically advanced and in a paradigm so far beyond ours that we have to assume that there's an intelligence behind it, you know, at the exact moment that we as an intelligent species are trying to figure out whether or not, like, is it inevitable? Does any society that gets to this stage just destroy itself? Because, you know, you start to wonder that when you it, it starts to have a feeling of inevitability about it, you know, the way things are going. And when you see that, like, well, maybe something got past this, maybe something figured out how to do better. Um, I think that in and of itself is kind of 
gives you some kind of hope. And that's what I hear from even some of my more like normie friends and family who've started to, you know, just out of support listened, you know, then they're like, you know, right. I really like it. it gives me a sense of hope. And I'm like, yes, that's it. That's all we were well, going for. <laughs> well, we know we notice we can't help but notice that the super rich immediately go make spaceships <laughs> and try to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so like exactly. I don't I wonder what that's about, you know, like so maybe maybe they find hope that something successful can come from that, you know, that civilization will continue elsewhere um no matter what we do here. Um and I I feel like that's definitely part of it. Um the you know the continuation of the species that that sense of peace from that, you know, is part of it. If we earn it you know, if we can get right. there, if we are, if we earn it, or if, if they decide, if they deign to teach us, so to speak, you know what I mean? And I think that's part of the hope. Um, however, I do think we might, like, I think, okay, I'm going to go woo with this. I do think that we have a lot of people who feel like they were activated, you know, mm -hmm. they were living a normal life, and then out of the blue. And I asked people, what was it that got you? right it's something out of the blue that other people would just blink at and continue but some people they hear it and they're gotten they become obsessed like they have to work on it they have to solve the mystery you know that's that's really interesting there's a sense of being activated and you know i i've all, often said diana fasolka calls it the calling you know that's they're like a almost a religious impression to it but I don't know. I, it is really interesting. And it feels a little bit like if you ask the question of why, you might get answers. And it's not just you talking to yourself in your head. <laughs> it's like, what is yeah. going on? Yeah. I mean, I walked away from a, a, a career that I spent 15 years building and that I was extremely proud of. It was kind of like my whole identity. It was probably very unhealthy how much I was invested in that identity. And I, I walked away from it within, from the time that I kind of like felt activated. Um, it was less than 18 months from the time that I, till I quit my job. Cause I spent, I, I started the podcast. I did that for a year and then I quit. Cause I, I couldn't, I got to the point where it was no longer sustainable for me to even pretend that I'm able to divide my attention <laughs> between this and something else. And I walked away from what I spent 15 years building. And if you had told me that even like two, three years ago, I would have said you were crazy and I wouldn't have believed that I would ever do that, but I've done it and I've done it joyfully. Um, and it's been crazy because in the process then I've met so many other people who literally just in the last you know, two, three, four, five years, you know, um, some people a lot further back than that, but so many people in just the last few years, um, just coming online and people, you hear them, they say activated, they say coming online, they say like, oh, like felt like I was a sleeper agent, you know, and that's certainly the feeling that I've, that I've had. And it's, I don't know how to explain that. And I know it sounds absolutely insane to people who haven't experienced it, but then suddenly, you meet in New York with people from all over the country who have come here because they all had that same call and you start talking and you realize you've all had it. Like that's a profoundly powerful experience. Yeah. I can't even explain it because I had a UFO sighting also, but it was years ago and it had 
you know, very little effect on me. I was like, oh, that's not ours. It's not one of the blimps that was around here recently. That is not a plane. That is not a helicopter. I should take a photo of it. However, I'm driving my client home and I can't stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then it was still there when I was driving back on the same road, driving another, like I had multiple clients in my car. So it was like, oh yeah, that's not ours. And then I just went about my business, you know, like it didn't freak me out. Like some people get scared and whatever. I just went about my business. Um, I couldn't even exactly tell you what shape it was. Like I, when I try to think of how to explain it, I just say it was a little bit like a jet ski and it was like white and silver, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and since then I've really been paying attention to the sky. Um, I have never seen anything like that again. I did have an orb that did a 90 degree turn when I went out trying to do a C5 by myself. And I was thinking earlier when you were talking about the 90 degree turns, what is with the 90 degree turns? But anywho, like the <laughs> funny, interesting thing about that orb was that it looked blurry. Like if it had been a blurry dust dot on a photo, like it looked like that, but it wasn't a photo and it was clearly not dust and it was up in the sky, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like really high up. And it, it was also funny because I would did a, I did like this little attempted C5 by myself, which everyone who does C5 would tell you not to do, by the way. <laughs> and I didn't see anything. And then I started walking into my house and then I got like the feeling, go look at Orion's belt, you know, the constellation turned and that's when I saw it. And it was very fast. Anywho, though, despite the first sighting and well before the orb sighting like nothing crossed my mind about studying this until about a year ago about a year and a couple months now like and then all of a sudden I was avidly reading every single FOIA and then I was sharing what I was reading and let, like people needed to know and summarizing it for people like that was how yeah. I was activated and that's weird like my life was nothing about UFOs like I had had other experiences with the paranormal but you know I wasn't studying this and now I think I know more than a lot of people on the planet <laughs> like, yeah no I'm shocked I'm shocked it's only been a year for you but I mean I think that's been I'm shocked I, I always feel like I'm the only newbie because I'm so new and everyone around me is so like intelligent and educated on this. And I assume, and it's like, no, like we all literally just woke up one day a few years ago or a year ago even yeah. and just started doing this. Well, <laughs> well, do you ever like watch a foreign TV show and like get the feeling this is just this weird thing that happens to me maybe that you should know the language like you're like why do I feel like I should know it but I don't you know like it's like I feel like if I just push my brain just a little to the left or something I'll know and, I, and I'll remember and that's kind of what's going on for me with the UFO thing it's like I know it you know like I don't know how to explain it it's like studying it is almost like remembering if that makes yeah. sense yeah 
Yeah, no, I actually, I have an interview coming out on Thursday of this week with Dr. James Madden from Benedictine University. Um, and he was talking about exactly, exactly that on the podcast that um, for people like Plato and Socrates, you know, um, and Aristotle, like they really didn't believe that, um, that you could know something that you didn't know. Like, how would you how would you come to know something that you didn't know? And that there was this idea that sort of all knowledge was a form of recovery and excavation. Um, mm -hmm. Because how would you know something and then not know, you know, not know something and then know it, that there, they couldn't, there was like a, they couldn't quite get their minds around that. So I, and, and I feel that way about a lot of this stuff. I actually, so I actually had a pretty weird experience that sort of like activated me. Um, and it took me a long time to talk about it. It took me a year to talk about it with anybody. And it took me probably another almost a year now to talk about it publicly like this. But um, so I was maybe like a few months into studying UFOs, super obsessed, like you're talking about just like crazy 24 seven down the rabbit hole, you know, I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this. And I was sitting on my bed one Saturday morning, um, surrounded by books because obviously that's what I had my plan for that day and um, completely sober, just sitting there. And I had the only way I can describe it. And it's, it's not a great description, but it's the closest I can come to with words is that I just had like the most insane psychedelic experience of my life, but it lasted probably 90 seconds. Um, but in that 90 seconds, I, I, God, I don't even know what to say what I saw. That's the problem. It does not translate to words. But I, when I say that I saw everything, I saw everything. And um, I went, I had woken up that morning. I had been an atheist and a strict materialist like my entire adult life. And in 90 seconds, I knew that there was a God. And I saw how everything in my life was connected and led me to that moment. And I felt, and, and out of that experience, I also felt that I needed to create this podcast. Like I kind of got the whole idea for the whole thing in 90 seconds. And I knew that that's what I needed to do. And it was a terrifying experience. Like it was fucking horrible, actually. Like I, I immediately felt grief. Like I went and started crying and like went to my fiance because I thought he would leave me because like I've, I knew I knew immediately that I was a completely different person. I knew that everything about me was going to change. All of my priorities were going to change. My personality was going to change and they have, it's been a profound change. And, um, and yeah. And like, how do you talk to people about that? <laughs> I mean, I guess I just did it. Yeah. Like it's a hard thing to like work yourself up to even admitting, you know? Well, you know, it's, what's great is that here it's safe for you to talk about that and you talking about it will inspire other people to talk. And like, I've, I've been pretty open gradually about some of my weird experiences and most of mine have been through meditation and really just, it's fascinating to me. Like I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit more about trying to understand the human brain anyway, and what's happening when we're meditating. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy that we can have those conversations here, you know, and feel safe to talk about them. In fact, if you talked with like your normal friends, 
It's like I'm putting quotes because there's not really anyone that's normal on the planet. Let's be honest. But, you know, people who who don't have these conversations regularly, they might be like, whoa, man. But here it's like, yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like like, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I've never I haven't personally met someone who's had the exact experience that I've had, but it's all when you hear about other people's experiences, you hear the echoes of your own experience. There, There is like a structure and a sameness to it. Okay. So that's what's weird to me because I have meditated things, then spoken to other people who have had the same experience that wasn't in meditation. Mm. Like, what is, I met a light being once, something they told me was really weird. And a friend of ours had met a light being that had a very similar message. And I thought that was peculiar. And then I was taken to a place that was a council. And I thought that was a little weird. And then I found out two other people that I interviewed were taken to a council. And in mine, it was in meditation. Theirs were not, right? So... Hmm. Yeah, there's some common threads I'm hearing a lot. And one one that really got me, I'll tell you, is I had meditated and was told that there was a God source. And I thought that was a weird way of saying, you know, there's God, right? And then sure enough, like I googled it. Lots of people call it God source. They call God the God source. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, that's weird, man. Yeah, it's that it's that weird way that you get. I mean, I think once you open yourself up to the idea that people can access information kind of outside of themselves, you start to recognize that like not all of your thoughts are actually strictly your own. (laughs) There's that there's sometimes there's there's a porousness to our lived experience and things kind of seep through in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect and I think that a lot of people ignore those moments and just write it off as a coincidence or like oh I must have heard that somewhere else or I must have but I mean Mm -hmm. I think once you start tuning into that and recognizing it it starts happening to you even more often at least that's been my experience yeah and and you know it's interesting is I think we should prepare a little bit more for accessing that other level you know, just like people sh- maybe should have been prepared more for accessing the internet. <laughs> like, you know, yes. I don't think I don't think society was quite ready for it and the profound impact it would have on people socially. Unfortunately, not all of that was positive. Like statistics have shown that it's not been great for us. For instance, for adolescent girls, the internet has right. been pretty depressing for them. They've been going through quite a lot with, you know, having to put filters on their features you know and things like that and their self-esteem being based on likes we should have probably prepared more for that but in this case what i'm talking about is it's almost what i call the cosmic internet you know like people are not fully prepared to plug in i think some of us get plugged in it sounds like you are forcibly plugged in that's something unfortunate (laughs) um some of us you know, choose to plug in or whatever. Um, I, I actually, when I don't meditate, I get this feeling like I'm supposed to. It's kind of an irritating feeling. It's like this, you're not answering a phone call feeling. 
Yeah. And I don't want, like, I, I choose actively not to 99% of the time. Like, I just am like, no. <laughs> so No, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I don't, I was meditating every day and I, I've kind of stopped meditating every day. And um, for anybody who's read American Cosmic or either familiar with Dr. Priscilla's work with like Tyler, um, you know, she, he talks about the protocols that he would do to kind of help access kind of information from off-world intelligences. Um, and sometimes I do like anti-protocols if I'm being real. Like if, if, if it's getting too real for me, because sometimes I can be too plugged in to the universe. Like sometimes... Sometimes there's too much going on and I'm not necessarily even talking about like paranormal type stuff. Like I'm talking about just like, I feel like I'm getting too many messages and I need to focus. And, and so I won't meditate for a while and I'll drink coffee and do all the things that you can do to kind of like shut, shut those channels down a little bit, because I mean, I think you're right. I think it's really overwhelming and that it needs to be approached in stages. And some people just dive right in and are just happy as a clam there. But a lot of people find this exploration to be like terrifying and challenging and distracting and all kinds of things that can be like, you know, hard in your day-to-day life. Yeah. I feel like I get given challenges sometimes, which are a little frustrating. Right. Um, And sometimes I get, not the most positive messages mm-hmm. um so for like for instance like i was not asleep but i was on my way to going to sleep and then i just got this message i wasn't searching for the message i wasn't like meditating or anything like that um it was just this message you know not everyone gets to have reincarnation <laughs> i'm like well that's cynical <laughs> It was like out of the blue. And I'm like, because I don't even know how it like popped into my head. You know, it was like, it was not even close to what I was thinking about. And it was just really mean. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, so I don't know. Um, it's not something I would have thought of on, on my own. And I don't know what that's about. Um, and I also feel like, like a frustration if, if they're if they are like if something's communicating to us be it the cosmic internet or non-human intelligence why why play the game it's sort of like if you have a prank caller you know that's really annoying after a while you don't want to pick up the phone you know it gets annoying or or you're just like just come say it to my face man you know like it's just (laughs) annoying yeah, no, I've had mo- things like that come through that have made me furious, actually, because I'm just like, what do you want? Like, as a part of that, uh, like that kind of experience that I had that I felt like kind of activated me, um, I saw a lot of things in that very short amount of time. And one of the things that I saw was something that had to do with DNA and the structure of DNA. And I don't know anything about DNA. So like, this is like useless information for me, right? And like I, anything that was not taught in a high school biology classroom about DNA, like I never knew it. And I've probably forgotten at least half of that. So, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and then as a, somebody reached out to me um, from the community who 
uh, one in, you know, we had been in touch and talking kind of over a period of time. And then he reached out to me with some work that he had done and wanted me to look at it. And he had been wanting me to read this paper forever. And I finally got around to reading this paper. And I look at this paper. And the first thing I see is this diagram of exactly what I saw um, with the DNA. And, and I, and I think that that person maybe even got a little frustrated with me because I think for him, he was like, yes, you've seen it too. And now together we shall find out what this is. And I was just like, brother, I don't know anything about DNA. Like I, I have so much work to do and I am not the person to crack DNA. Like that is not <laughs> like. <laughs> I have to ask though, because I just, I'm, I'm getting more to the place where I'm just going to say the thing that comes to my mind. Like this is where, where I'm just getting to that place where I'm like, if there's a reason I'm thinking it. So I'm just going to ask, was it about DNA being some kind of map? Because I'm starting to feel like there's something in our DNA that's pushing us along this path towards something. Sort of. I'll, I will send you the paper. I just don't, I'll send you the paper after it's, it's really interesting. And you'll know who this person is also. I just didn't want to like loop him in without his permission, but um, it had to do with um, dark energy and okay. how it kind of controls the DNA strand, which is not a great okay. way to describe it. But, and, and what I saw was so visual that I didn't have like, like even what I'm saying is I'm more talking about how this person has mm -hmm. interpreted it and through their research, all I saw was just what it looked like with no further information. So like completely, which, yeah. which makes me even more frustrated because it's just like, why was I shown this? I, I, I can't do anything with this information. Well, I'm not going to make you try to crack DNA, I assure you. Although I'm still pondering, like I haven't even gotten through all of it. I don't have it down here to pull, but um, I'm, I'm reading about um, our reality not being necessarily what it is. I think it's Hoffman um, mm -hmm. when I have time, because unfortunately I don't have a lot of time right now. And he's, he talked about how DNA was the evidence of life versus non-life that we needed. And that really, like, I had to stop for a minute and think about that, that there was ever a time when people tried to understand life versus not life. Like, because we're so used to just taking for granted, well, duh, things, some things are not alive and some things, you know, are inanimate and some things are alive and have DNA, right? But there was a time before when they didn't take that for granted and they were really pondering that, you know? <laughs> so... There, there are some things that I have to contemplate sometimes when it comes to DNA. And I keep thinking about elephants when people talk about DNA and how elephants seem to just know where to go. Right. Um, before, like, if an, if an elephant is fairly young and hasn't been left with the herd, I think they're still going to know where to go. Because it's in their DNA or something. It's like really strange. And I wonder if we just have that in ours as well. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that we've only just, we, we haven't even barely begun, I think, to really unravel the mysteries of DNA. I mean, a book that I am reading, because I'm actually, one of my upcoming episodes is, is about this exactly 
Um, I'll be covering Hoffman and um, Robert Lanza and Jeffrey Kripal and, um, you know, kind of really focusing on these new theories of reality. But, you know, one book that I picked up and I've been reading that's been really kind of helpful and illuminating with that other work is called um, The Demon in the Machine. And I can't remember the author's name, which I apologize for. Um, but it's about that exactly. It's about that, like, even though we can describe the processes of life, we still can't really explain why it happens because like the second law of thermodynamics tells us that things move from, you know, from order to disorder. And so an organism is a highly ordered thing and for it to come into being and to sustain itself under its own power, um, we don't know what that is. Like we still don't, we still don't know what that is. We can describe all the processes that are associated with life. Um, but we cannot tell you what causes it to happen. Um, you know, we can tell you every single step of how an acorn grows into a tree, but we don't know why the acorn grows into the tree. Um, it's just, it's a mystery. And that, and, and so that's been a really fun book to read also to kind of understand you know, how much it, that we consider settled, settled science because we can more or less describe it. Uh, we, actually don't, we actually don't know anything about it at all. <laughs> we really don't know about a lot. Yeah. Like we just take a lot of things for granted. Um, and one thing I think that happens when we go down these rabbit holes is we don't take it for granted anymore. And one of those things for me is just, you know, stopping and going oh yeah we didn't think of that before like every once in a while or you know why were we not thinking about that or you know what is going on and I think that is a fantastic part of having this exploration yeah and it's fun right like I think that there's a way in which um our society really sort of guides us into complacency you know at the beginning of your life there's a lot of milestones there's, you know, you you've got prom and you graduate, you go to college, you graduate again, maybe you get married, maybe you have a kid, like you get your first job, you get your first house. But then like at a certain point, they're like stops being things like that. There stops being that like next thing. And I remember like being so afraid of turning 30, which like when I was in my 20s, when I think about now, I just think it's so ridiculous because I really was like, well, I guess my life, my life is over now. Like I don't know what I was thinking, but that's kind of how we, how we talk to people. And I think that like what this gives people is an antidote to that. You know, it's life isn't over. There's so much that we don't know about. It's so crazy that we're all even here, you know, and, and, and waking up to that uh, gives you something that you, that, that I think many people have lost. And why are we so different from everything else here? That's going to be another right. question that I hope we figure out one day because I do not feel like the other animals and living things on this planet are like us. And I I want to. I love my dogs. I've loved my cats. I've loved my birds and fish and all of those other animals that I've interacted with over, you know, my life. But I know they're not the same as me. And I don't see the evolution that, you know, with those species. Um, we can't even say that we have another living being on our entire planet that is at the same level of intelligence. We always compare things to us. Like a parrot is a two-year-old human, you know, things like that. Why? 
Like, what is right. that about? After well, and I all think this time. A, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think it's like it. I think it's even more than because there are things on this planet. It's, it's, it's that we're different, right? Because there are things on this planet that are very, very smart. Like elephants are real smart. Octopus is real smart. Dolphins are real smart. But they're not technological. Like humans, I mean, uh, uh, something that Dr. Madden was saying in the interview I did with him this week is that like, you know, something that um, that Plato would argue for is that there's no such thing as a pre-technological human, that we are tool users, that that's even, even before we had tools, <laughs> we were tool users. Like you had to, there's nothing, there's, that's really what sets, you know, homo sapien sapien apart is that. Um, and, and, and I'm going to just call out for Neanderthals right now that they were using fire too. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. Exactly. And they were different too. Right. So like, why were there, there used to be all kinds of different humans on this planet that weren't necessarily human as we think of it today. And like, but that, what was that? And what, why do we, why do we operate in that way? And it, it helps us accomplish amazing things, but it also sets us at odds to our environment in a way that um, that's hard to deal with also. And so we're just different. Right. You could leave dolphins alone for millions of years and come back and they're still dolphins. I know that's really confusing to me because they have had millions of years. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. They've been along this journey with us uh, looking at gorillas, you know, gorillas are primates. They've also been side by side on this journey with us, probably some of them left alone quite a bit. So they had their same chance to evolve like we did. And yet it's only recently that we're hearing that some gorillas figured out how to set, like set off traps so they wouldn't get caught in them. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and, and even, I hate to say this cause I loved the story of Coco when I was a kid, but even the sign language, people argue it's not exactly what people think it is. It's not exactly them communicating with us. Um, and it, and I don't know, like, is it communicating the way we want them to be? Or is it more like when your dog wags its tail when it sees you? I mean, that's a form of communication, but it's still pretty limited. Like, how old would Coco have been in human years? Five? Right. Maybe five. Yeah. Well, and I think it's what you said too. Like, I think it's hard to, in some ways that even that comparison is like not helpful, right? Like it's, it almost oversimplifies, it almost oversimplifies it because it even gives you the impression that that, you know, that like a gorilla would act like a five-year-old child, but there are fundamental differences, you know, um, between a gorilla and a five-year-old child. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what that difference is, but it's hard to deny it. And it's, and it's also really difficult to believe that it arose completely by chance or by evolution, because what, because here's the thing is that like a species will evolve dramatically in response to environmental factors, but it's not like other hominids, like lower hominids and even chimps and apes and everything else weren't hanging out in the exact same spot that modern humans were. So what exactly was that evolutionary force that was acting on specifically on anatomically modern humans and not on all of the other things like us in that area that caused, they're all basically still the same, but we changed dramatically. Why? Right. So I play this 
I played this game. Well, I should say I played because I haven't played it in a while. But I played this game called Ancestors, where it was about humanity evolving, right? And even after I don't know how many hours of playing this game, and other people will never play it because they'll probably think it's the most boring thing ever. Um, and all these mutations that happen like i'm still a hairy primate for god's sake i'm at the end of the game and i'm like i'm not a homo homo sapien yet where's my sequel like it ends you're still a hairy primate okay so like it and even though you could argue it's mutations and whatever all the other creatures on this planet have had mutations and we're still not having conversations with them um, they're still not, you know, building skyscrapers or going into space. However, we are. And I think sometimes that's one of the reasons we feel lonely because we know that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be alone. And that there's, we get the sense that we aren't. And I don't know, it's, it's a whole conversation. Are we alone is like, you know, a good question that we have that I don't think a gorilla has. I don't think a gorilla is looking at the sky and saying, my cousins are out there, but we are. I think that's so true. And I think it does resonate with people. I know one of the really early things that like hooked me on this subject was um, listening to that Lou Elizondo interview where he talks about, um, is it mankind or mankinds? And I think that there's something in that idea that is just so compelling and is it is it just wish is it just wishful thinking i mean do we just want so badly for there to be somewhere somewhere else but there's but there is something about that idea that feels like like we were talking before like feels like a remembering and i mean to be honest when we look at the history of of humans on this planet this idea that we're alone is like a very recent idea Um, And certainly not one that's held by everyone. And, um, you know, you look back through folklore of all these different cultures and you see that it was, whether you're talking, you know, fairies or jinn or the gods or Sasquatch or, you know, whatever it is, like people, people have been, we have been documenting our interaction with others and taking that as, as just, taking that for granted, basically, for most of our history. It's only very recently that we decided that we're here alone and that it would be absurd to think otherwise. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ego with that, too, though. It's like, you can't be morally right either way, right? Because if you say we're all alone, then you're saying, oh, we're superior. Of course, nothing in the entire universe could be this smart, right? Right. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. And then if you say we're not alone... You know, people go to, oh, well, you're crazy. Let's ignore the fact that even the Bible was talking about other entities before humans. Whatever. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. You, you can't really win. Um, so it's, it's a tough one. And I think um, those of us who have the calling or that feeling of activation feel like the answer may be coming. Um, and I think that that is also what we're working on also all the time is getting that answer out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just to add on to that, I mean, um, something that really struck me, I'm sure you probably remember this moment we were in, uh, 
I think maybe I think I might even been sitting next to you. I can't remember who I was sitting next to you at the time. But anyways, um, when Whitley Strieber was talking in New York and he was talking about what his, you know, dearly uh, departed wife Anne would say to him um, about the phenomenon about humans, which was basically that we're too young of a species to have answers. And then what we need right now are the, to work on the right questions. And so it feels like it feels like that's where we are right now. But even the ability to to formulate better questions and to recognize that we haven't been asking the right ones opens up that possibility of like maybe we'll get the answer someday, someday. <laughs> yeah, but what's what's fun is like I also feel like it's really simple. <laughs> you know, like I people are making like yes, yeah, some things are complicated. Some things we should be figuring out first. Like we really should be understanding our own DNA, our own brains. Like they're still discovering things about the human brain um, right. that they didn't know. Um, we should be understanding our own oceans. We should be understanding how to take better care of each other first, technically. But right. humans are humans and we do sometimes leap before we can walk. <laughs> you know, like we do sometimes try to dance before we can, you know, walk properly you know we just always try to leap ahead that's part of who we are and i'm okay with that because i but i do think ultimately some things are going to be very simple like i think some people make it more complicated than it needs to be it's just they're uncomfortable with those simple answers sometimes like you said when you had your experience the 90 second seeing everything you realize god existed a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with accepting, even those who say they believe in God would be uncomfortable with accepting a concrete reality of God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I get that. I think it, um, I'm actually really grateful for all the time that I spent as much as it makes me sad now a little bit, but of all the time that I spent being an atheist and a non-believer and completely anti-woo and all of those things, I'm grateful for that because I can remember that like it was yesterday because it wasn't, it was kind of like the day before yesterday, you know? <laughs> and, it, uh, and, and so that's all, that's all a very like recent belief set for me. I can, I, I can put it on very easily, like a, like an old sweater, like it's just, it's comfortable and I understand it. And when I hear people talk that way and, and I under, I, I understand where they're coming from. And so as frustrating as it can be, I'm like grateful for that because I think that, you know, it's something that I can bring to my work to try to reach out to those people and to understand, you know, you've got to meet people where they are. And I'm glad to have at least had that experience so I can understand where they are. Yeah. And I'm, I think that um, one thing I'm also discovering is that everyone's right. Yeah. No one has a theory that's wrong in this. They just have to figure out how it's all connected. And sometimes people have a hard time hearing that the person they're, they're disagreeing with may actually be right too. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to say it, even Mick West can be right sometimes. Yes. Right. Some, sometimes there are seagulls that people think are UFOs. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I think it's so... It's so hard. I think people want an answer so badly that we get committed to like our little pet answers because um, it makes us feel like maybe we have an answer, but literally no one has an answer right now. Everything's on the table. And also, like you said, the more you dive in, the more you realize that like 
it seems like everybody's kind of right. You know, maybe they need to tweak it a little or twist it or look at it in this new way. But, you know, everyone is working from their own experience and that is authentic, right? Like they, mm -hmm. everyone's drawing, we're, we're all in this, whatever this reality is, we're all in this together and we're all experiencing it. And, you know, any, everybody's perception is as valid as anyone else's. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I, I hope people will open their minds up a little. I think the only thing I push back on is the term reptilian. I can't stand it because of the person, <laughs> the person behind it, Ick. Mm -hmm. I believe his name is David Ick. However, am I willing to accept that there might be non-human intelligence that look like reptiles? Yes, I am. I'm willing to be open-minded that that's a possibility. I would just prefer no, you not call them reptilian. That's all. <laughs> I hear you. No, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. That that one, I feel like for whatever reason, I think too, because the reptilian thing has just gotten so tied up with like a bunch of other conspiracy theories and with like a bunch of like, kind of like really wretchedly racist stuff. Yeah, it, it makes it even, I think, harder to want to entertain that particular idea. But like you, I mean, there's no reason to think if a they could look like anything. They could probably look like that too. So, you know, who am I to say? <laughs> but yeah. And I have to say also that a lot of them supposedly look like humans. So, you know, the people who think that we are related to these entities, we might be related to some of them. They might, we might have common ancestors, you know, who knows? They, we have no idea. Like we just don't know. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes the people who are given, quote downloads are misled too which is super frustrating so oh, what do you think is going to be at the end of the rabbit hole kelly do you think we're going to ever get these answers in the next decade i think we will for the record i do think um something's going to happen i think we're right at the tip of it yeah, I think we're going to get some answers. I don't know if we're going to get the whole answer, but I think that the answers that we do get are going to kick off. A, seriously, I don't think it's too dramatic to say that it's going to kick off just a whole new era, a new like of just being human. I, I think it's going to in some ways change what we are and change how we see ourselves. And, and I think that it's going to have, you know, I'm very into the the Hoffman stuff and all of that. I suspect that a model of consciousness and reality that places consciousness as sort of the fundamental uh, substrate of reality instead of space time. Um, I think that that opens up enough, a, a lot of doors to creating models and possibilities around these like impossible things that happen all the time. Um, and so I suspect that's where it's going to take us, but I mean, that's going to just, that's even that in and of itself, I think don't even think is going to be an, answer it's going to be like the beginning of an answer it's going to be a portal to an answer um you know these things like, like think about it. it's been over a hundred years since we invented quantum mechanics now and like we're still just like huh <laughs> you know like <laughs> we i so i do think we're going to get some answers and it's going to be thrilling but i also think that it's going to for every answer we get we're going to get like you know a hundred more questions and we're going to keep making the toys before we know how to play with them <laughs> Yes, unfortunately. Because <laughs> that's what humans do. Like, I'm just, you were making quantum computers. And like you said, we don't even fully understand quantum, but that's just what we do.
right? They're like, well, they work. So we're just going to keep making them and not ask too many questions. <laughs> like the AI toys that we make that are rapidly replacing us in every little thing. Like people even in SETI are now using AI to look for signals. Yeah. I mean, it's transformed my job and I, but I can see how, um, it could make humans obsolete and we're going to feel real silly if we do that to ourselves. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> I don't know. I saw Wally. We have a chance of going around on scooters, watching TV, sipping drinks from giant Slurpee containers. Right. So mm. <laughs> that's or like the, the idiocracy of... toilet chair. There's that. Yes, exactly. We, we so that in our future as well. Yeah. I don't know. I also watch Cherry 2000, though, so I like AI because I want a robot that comes and lives in my house and talks to me. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing, but actually, if you watch Cherry 2000, that is not what happens. Like, it goes very wrong, but... <laughs> I'll have to watch it. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, it is not just a robot comes and lives in your house. It's a much more complicated movie. But Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today, Kelly. Thank you for going down your rabbit hole with me and just going down the different avenues. I really appreciate everything you do for the community. And, of course, anytime you spend um, talking to me, I love getting to know you better. And I look forward to when I get to see you in person again, hopefully in April. Right? Yes, yes. And thank you so much. It's so wonderful to get to chat with you. And I, you know, this is just a good excuse, right? We could hop on a Zoom call, but might as well record it, right? <laughs> but uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. I love chatting with you. And yes, I hope to see you in April. Okay. Can you let people know where they can find you? Yes. Um, you can find everything you'd want to know at uforabbithole.com. Um, links to socials, all the podcasts, anything you would want will all be on the website, uforabbithole.com. Okay. Thank you so much again. And thank you to everyone who's listening. If you need to find me, I'm Deb with Deb's at a Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. You can find me with Cab on YouTube. Or you can find me at Study of UAPs on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, so on and so forth. Occasionally Instagram. Occasionally. I found out I can put AI artwork on there. So I've been doing it a little bit more. And um, at the UFOConnector.com. And of course with UAP Medical Coalition. Thank you everyone and take care.